Harvest Time Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Thank you, Jules. Yeah, good morning, everyone. I'm William, as Jules just said. Um, Percy, Jules, and Holly, thank you for the honour of being able to share this morning. Uh, I have spoken a couple of times before, but as I've said in those times, this is probably like the, only the fourth or so time I've ever done anything like this, so I'm not, um, this is not my natural habitat, so to speak. Um, but I guess what I've really wanted to do, I was asking the Lord about, about this um, today, and, I, and I've been a believer all my life. I don't remember exactly when I gave my life to Jesus, but I grew up in a strong Christian home. And, um, but it's only been in recent years, seven years, eight years or so, seven years, I think, that I've had this sort of increasing revelation of the goodness of God. And um, we sang a song, one of the first songs this morning, it talked about awakening my soul. It was one of the lines in that first song. I, I didn't know the song, but it's a great song. And I would say that's really what's happened within me. Our, my soul, our souls being our mind, will and spirit and, and emotions and feelings. Um, those things have been coming awake. And actually, Peter talks about it, and I think it's 1 Peter 1 9, that says, and this is the end of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Not the salvation of our spirit. As soon as we give our lives to Jesus, our, we're instantly our spirits are transformed. But our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions take some time uh, to change and to be made to look like Him. So I, I wanted to talk, um, Dan um, mentioned about identity, and I, it is that, um, but actually what the word that Dan is, had is very in line with what um, I wanted to share. So I've given it a title, um, and hopefully um, it'll have the intended effect, which is, it's um, Matthew 4, 7, which is Jesus saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I'm gonna talk to you about, about that. Before I do this, I just want to pray. Father, I just thank you that you give us the spirit, spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Thank you, Lord, that there are incredible truths from heaven available for us that you don't hide from us, but in fact, Lord, sometimes you hide them for us. Just like you know, we would hide Easter eggs for our children, not to be nasty, but for the, to see the joy of them discovering them. I thank you, Lord, that there's joy in discovering your truths. Amen. So I wanted to start by talking about um, actually the message of God's grace. It's actually incredibly radical, the grace of God. And what I'm going to say, I don't think it's going to be probably highly, in some ways not very new, maybe in some ways very new to us all. But I really wanted to start, I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted me to start here, which is a very sort of base sort of level of thinking. So that God's grace is incredibly radical, but I think we, not us here individually necessarily, but as the church body, have been conditioned a lot by a culture, a religious culture that can be one of coercion, religious control, and even a way, a desire to, even if not consciously, to manipulate the way we think. And I'm not talking about a particular church or any particular person. I'm, rather, I'm talking about you know, this, the corrupted wisdom. Proverbs 14, 12. And there will be verses I'm going to bring up. Some, by the way, you don't have to bother throwing up. Others I'll ask you to put up because I've got a few here. Um, but Proverbs 14, 12 says, 
and it talks about the way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So there is some thing, there are things that we experience in, um, as the church body that look right, sound good, seem um, great, but in, fa- but in many cases aren't. They are corrupted wisdom. You know, if you like, it's, there can be wisdom that masquerades itself as wisdom. We're told that the, angel, that the devil can masquerade himself as an angel of light. Um, it's the wisdom I'm talking about here that is the wisdom from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, the wisdom that might seem good. So Genesis 3.6, if we could put that up, says this. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eye and it was desirable to, desirable to make one wise, she took and ate. And so she saw that this, um, this tree was desirable for wisdom, but it was actually a corrupted wisdom. And it came to the stake that eventually they, well, very quickly, um, were conscious that they were no longer walking in their created order, Adam and Eve. They became conscious that they were naked, not just physically, but naked of the glory of God. And they began to hide from God, and they began to have a fear of God, not fear as in reverence, but fear as in cowering and pulling back from God. And they, if you like, created their own religion. They started covering themselves up. Um, And it was a religion that manufactures an external um, look of worship, but actually it's a hiding from the glory of God. And I think, and this is not meant to be judgmental at all, but I think that in much of the church as a whole, there's a great shallowness in a relationship um, with God, that people are saved, they do know him, they are uh, going to go to heaven, but there's a shallowness in the relationship. There's a manufacturing of a facade, but not a deep, heartfelt, rooted anchoring in the glory of God. In 1 Corinthians 2, 7 to 8, um, Paul writes this. He says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So the cross is God's hidden wisdom. God, you know, amazingly ambushed the enemy by by the cross, because if the enemy had known what would happen, i.e. that we would all become, have the life of the living God in us to change the world around us, um, you know, one son making many sons and daughters, then they would never have done it. So this wisdom, it says here, was hidden for our glory. Um, and that, what does that mean? It means the glory of God can return back to the church, to us as the body, that we would manifest his love, that we would destroy the works of the enemy. But unless we know who we truly are, unless we have this stuff settled in our minds, Um, we won't live like this. So the first stage, I guess, um, really has to start with changing the way we think. And I guess I just wanted something else I should have started with, but um, as I said, I'm I'm a businessman, I'm not a preacher by any means, you can probably tell. Um, But but, um, 
the Lord's taught me lots of things and through many great teachers. So um, Bill Johnson, Dan Moller, Andrew Womack, I think I've talked about before. And actually a lot of what I wanted to share today is through a guy called Rob Rufus. Um, and so, I mean, it's God's word that I'm sharing, but um, I want to just acknowledge that my own journey has been so blessed by um, wonderful teaching through the Holy Spirit, but through others. So I guess I just want to say that first thing I think is this, this, we need to change the way we think. You know, clearly it's necessary. Paul, Romans 12, 2, don't need to go there, but says, you know, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed um, by the renewing of your mind. And then he goes on and says, by, so that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So that we can test what his will is. We understand what his will is. Actually, we're told many places through the word that we can, we can know the will of God. So it doesn't have to be a mystery for us. Um, he also, Paul also says in Colossians 3.2, to set your mind on things above. Which is interesting because um, some, some translations say uh, fix your mind. And I think it's interesting because Paul clearly knew that it's easy not to have our minds set or fixed on things above. It's very easy to get um, drawn into the things of here and now, what I feel, what I you know, see or what I don't see, the things of the emotions. So we can say that we believe lots of things about God. Our words are pretty easy to come out of our mouths often. But until we can change our thought processes, until we can change the cultural conditioning, whether it be our human culture or our religious culture, and bring them into the obedience of Jesus, to what his word says, uh, and not what I feel. And I know this for me, you know, I, you know I've had, had to have back surgery last year for the same condition where I saw someone instantly healed when I laid hands on them. And so, you know, my, my mind, you know, Lord, what's going on? I don't understand, you know, it's, I feel fear. And I have to make a conscious choice not to let those thoughts, those feelings actually Take a, have a greater sway than what God's word says. It's I'll never leave you or forsake you, that when, whatever you pray in my name, I hear and I answer. You know, there's promise after promise. But it's a, it's a constant challenge, which is why I think no matter how mature we are in Jesus, we need to hear this stuff, yeah. to constant challenge to keep our minds set on what he says. Because until we do, we won't experience the fullness of the, of the goodness of God. Not because he doesn't want to give it to us, but because... We're not having our minds open to actually receiving all he has for us. So Psalm 139, verse 17. You know, it's a wonderful psalm. This is the psalm that Di and I used to, and still do, read to our children on their birthdays. You know, that we're wonderfully formed in our mother's womb, etc. But verse 17 says this. It says, How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. And he goes on, he says, They're more than the sand of the seashore all combined. You know, I was sitting down the other day at Bilgola Beach and I thought, there must be billions of grains of sand on Bilgola, let alone the trillions and billions of however many there are around the world. And that's the thoughts of God toward us. Um, and they, these are good thoughts. You know, so God has nothing but precious thoughts towards us. He doesn't have one ugly, disapproving, condemning thought to us. I mean, Paul says in Romans, you know, there is now no more condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. The enemy wants us to think that, yes, there is. Oh, you thought that thing. You know, I'm not saying, by the way, we don't need to 
you know, some time to repent. I think we do at times, and I'll talk about this in a moment. But, but I am saying the way that God looks at us now is thoughts of love. There's no separation from the love of God. Paul talks about that in Romans 8, somewhere, 29 or something. Um, we're constantly on the forefront of God's mind. You know, whenever God thinks about us, his whole being just lights up. He gets excited by us. And in fact, I love the verses, the verse in Zephaniah that says that he sings over us. You know, I, I remember you know, putting our children to bed in their cots and we'd sing over them. We'd sing you know, little songs of love for them. And that's how God does for us all the time. He sings over us. He just thinks each of us are so wonderful. But I think that often religion tells us the opposite. Religion um, will say that God doesn't love us unless we're good enough. You know, um, but when we begin to think that and understand that we are precious in his sight, we are holy, we are blameless, we are above reproach in his sight, then our whole being comes awake. Then our soul, as that song said, are transformed. So changing the way we think is really important. But, you know, how can we be so sure that God's, you know, thoughts about us are good all the time? If we go to 1 Corinthians 2, 9 to 12. Actually, I'm going to read in the ESV, but it doesn't matter what comes up here. It says this, But as it is written... No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man inspired, imagined, excuse me, what God has, has prepared for those who love him. But these things now God has revealed to us through the Spirit. So as, this is a verse from Isaiah, but now here Paul's saying it has been revealed to us. For the Spirit searches, searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the spirits of the person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thought of God, thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but we have received the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand, some verses say, know the things that are freely given to us from God. So if I go back there a little bit, it says... Um, now, the spirit of this world, firstly, that's, that's the spirit of the enemy. That's the spirit of trying to tempt us to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the corrupted wisdom to think that we could you know, know it better on our own terms than in God's terms. But it says here that, that um, the thoughts... So no one has... So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Then we have received not the spirit of this world but the spirit of God. So we've got the Spirit of God, which means we can know the thoughts of God, and the thoughts of God have been given to us freely, and they're good thoughts. They're thoughts that are precious. To, you know, we are precious to Him. So His thoughts to us are loving kindness, tender mercies, gentleness, you know, mercy beyond our understanding. And they're thoughts that aren't, we don't have to earn, they're given freely. Um, in fact, the next verse, verse 13, says, um, These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And I was thinking, well, what does that mean? You know, I don't really know. It's a bit of a strange verse. I believe what it's meaning is that um, there are spiritual things that we need to discern. 
So some things are false, some things are counterfeit, and they're pseudo, pseudo religion, pseudo um, following of God. The ways that sound spiritual, oh, I've got to read my Bible every day and pray harder, fast, none of which are wrong, all of which are good. But as I'll tell you in a moment, the, our motives behind these things are what matter. So we need to discern what's going on. Why am, I, why am I doing what I'm doing? Is it because I'm fearful that I need to earn the goodness of God? Well, we don't. It's just freely given, you know, as we've said before, I said it before. So I started by, um, I somewhat provocatively, I hope, um, called this Repent for the Kingdom of Heaven is at Hand. Um, you know, many of us, I think probably myself you know, included for many years, would have interpreted that as something like this. Oh my God, the Kingdom of Heaven's at hand, it's near. I better repent, confess my sins, tell God how bad I am, you know, walk around with my head hanging low, you know, try harder. Uh, then maybe God won't turn me into pancake batter and, um, and he'll, um, because God's obviously angry with me, he's not happy with me, I need to do better, etc. But nothing clearly could be further than the truth. And most of us, I hope you know this, but, and it's not about being as dramatic as that thinking, clearly, but the subtle little chinks that can occur when we just open our mind up to not the truths of God. You know, even reading God's word, and we look at the past tenses of his, of his word, we have received, you know, the spirit of holiness and goodness from him, for example. So this word repent, actually, um, is a great word, and many of us probably know this, but in the Greek, I don't try and pronounce it, metaneo or something, it says to think differently, to change the way you think. And in the Hebrew, when it's used, it means to return to grace. So we can say, yeah, I do need to repent every day. I need to think differently, return to grace, return to the promises of who I am in God. Why? Because he says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here now. It's touchable. It's tangible. It's, you know, we can bring the kingdom of heaven to the world now. We can pray for people and see them healed. We can pray for people and see them restored in whatever aspect of their life they need it because the kingdom of heaven is here now and it lives in us. So, yeah, this repent, change the way we think and return to grace because God's kingdom is here now. And so change the way we think. Don't think that God is against us for one iota. He's actually saying, guys, as Jesus is saying, again, this is sort of a paraphrase, guys, now this old covenant's about to end. This, there's a new covenant coming. The kingdom of heaven has arrived. It's now within me. And now, later on, after his death and resurrection, it's in us. Every old order is about to pass away. There's a new and living way. So think differently, guys. Return to the highest state that Adam had, first Adam had, before the fall. Because last Adam, me, Jesus, he's saying, is going to restore all that. Where sin abounded, grace superabounds, Paul says. So grace is so much greater than all that sin stuff. Don't think any more about the old ways, Jesus is saying. Don't think about legalistic, performance-based, measuring up, performance-driven, human effort, ways of operating, what you brought. Change the way you think, Jesus is saying. Return to grace. The kingdom's touchable, it's tangible, it's real. It's not some esoteric 
words on a page that make you sound, feel good. They are powerful words that change the world around us. So there's a chain reaction. Um, and maybe, um, do you have that picture? We can throw it. Yeah. Um, Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinks, as we think, in his heart, so is he. So clearly, the, what, we, what we goes on in here, in, here in, our, in our mind, what we think about ourselves, what we think about God, clearly affects us and the world around us. You know, there's also where it says, you know, the power of death and life is in the tongue. That's what we speak out with our mouths. Um, Paul says, set your mind on things above, not things of the earth. Now, this is probably a bit hard to see, this picture. Um, this is not a, from anything Christian. This is from Psychology Today or somewhere. And it's, I thought it's great because it's really, um, what I want to talk about in a moment now is that changing the way we think is this foundation, as I said. We need to have new eyes, new lenses to understand um, who we are. So why do we need to set our minds on things above? Because where we anchor our affections is, is um, how we will live. So this picture here starts at the bottom saying identity, if you can't, probably can't see that, goes to values, beliefs, convictions, cap capacities and behaviour. So religious systems would say that you've got to look good. You read your Bible every day, you pray well, you come to church, you do good works, all of which are fine, but none of which give us anything in, in God's kingdom. So, but if you see here, the, the, the iceberg, the great depth of the iceberg, we know this metaphor, is below the water. And it starts with understanding our identity. The behaviour stuff is tiny. It's on the top of the surface and it's the stuff everyone sees, but it actually is not, it's driven by what's down underneath. So understanding this, our identity of ours and who God says we are and who he is, is so important. So law-based religion focuses on the surface, as I've said. It looks at the outward behaviour and wants to modify our behaviour. It uses um, guilt, manipulation, control, um, it makes us feel threatened. Uh, it says, oh, if we don't do some, such and such, there's a punishment, there's anger coming. Um, it's behavioral change, us behaving differently, is impressive to a religious system, but it's not to God. And Paul, I mean, it's all through the word, but in Samuel, God's speaking to Samuel, and Samuel's looking at Saul, who's muscular and good-looking, and, and Samuel thinks, oh, he must be the guy. And God says, says this in 1 Samuel 16, 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as a man sees. For, Lord, for the man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So this, this thought of what I'm saying here about um, our behaviour um, or this religious system, we, we can often respond to say, look, I'm not good enough, you know, I'm doing bad things, you know, I had that bad thought, um, so I can't be good in God's sight. And, and it's just, you know, that is a lie from heaven, from hell, excuse me. It's not a lie from heaven, it's a lie from hell. Um, uh, yeah, that's not a good one. Um, that's a lie from hell, let me be clear on that one. Um, 
I mean, Matthew 12:33, Jesus says, um, either make a tree good and its fruit good, or else make a tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. So it's not about the fruit, it's about the tree. If we are trees of righteousness planted by the water, stuff that you said, then we are. We're trees of righteousness, not because we've done anything, but because we have been freely given it. Then, and if our fruit hasn't, isn't looking like righteousness, it just means we don't understand who we truly are yet. It just means we ha we're still on the journey of being transformed in our mind, our spirit, our soul, our emotions. So, as believers, we are made righteous. I think, Dan, you mentioned that, you know, um, is it 2 Corinthians 5, 21. You know, we receive the gift of righteousness. We're trees of righteousness. So, this underlying motive of how we behave or how we live our lives is really what counts. Um, people could say, oh, William, you know, you're fantastic. You pray for the sick and you, you know, talk at church or whatever. Um, you know, how wonderful. But I, this, is a, this is a quote from um, Rob Rufus. Now, God asks us questions. He says, well, William, why are you doing this stuff? Are you doing it to make yourself feel good? I can certainly tell you I'm not doing this to make myself feel good because it's not really comfortable for me doing this. Um, but, um, or, you know, why are you doing it? Are you doing it to make yourself feel good or are you doing it because that's what the, I've put on your heart to do? Um, and this is the quote that uh, it was said. Is, when God asked Adam in the garden, Hey, Adam, where are you? It wasn't a geographical question. It was a cardiographical question. So he knew where, you know, God suddenly hadn't lost his omnipotence. He knew where Adam and Eve were. He wanted to know where they were in here. They'd, they had left that place of intimacy and knowing who they truly were, and they were covering themselves now. In 1 Corinthians 3, 12 to 13, um, it says, Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. So there's going to be a fire test, but we don't have to be anxious. It's not a fire test about are we going to heaven or not. For those of us given our life to Jesus, that's done. We're going. Um, it is a fire test to determine the rewards that we will receive. And the rewards that are received, not on what I do, but why I do what I do. And, you know, if we are doing things on a law-based religious system, then the motives there is wrong. We, we do what we do because we love him is the natural outpouring of, of our, of our behaviour. I mean, I, I can remember before my own awakening, just the thought of praying for anyone, and, and I would say, oh, when you retire, maybe you go on a mission field. I, think, I couldn't think of anything worse. I think it would just be a horrible thought. And, um, but my own, truly, I just, I just used to think that. And, and, um, but when I realised how much God loves me, it's just, it's, it's now not, I don't have to do anything. It's just sharing what he's given me to share because it's, it's, yeah, I have to prepare or think, but it's not a chore because it's just like, well, God is so good. I just got to let this, let out what I know to others who are around me. And I guess that's why for me, I'm talking about this today because, you know, it's so easy, even for me every day to get fallen into this trap of thing I have to perform. But we look like Jesus. I mean, Christian, the word Christian is only used twice. The word sons of God is used multiple times through the New Testament. And let me just be clear, sons also refers to daughters. 
Um, Galatians 3.28 says, um, don't have to go there, but there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, neither male nor female, for all one in Christ Jesus. So that's, we're all sons of God. Um, in, um, in Romans 18, sorry, 8, 19, to 20, 19 and verse 22, 19 says, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Then verse 22, For we know that the whole creation groans with labour and labours with birth pangs together until now. Creation's not groaning and labouring for the revealing of Christians. It's groaning and labouring for revealing of the sons of God. For men and women who know who they are in God, who will bring the kingdom of heaven to earth now. We, as his children, carry his DNA. We have the ability to look exactly like Jesus. You know, 1 John 4, 17, as he is, so are we in this world now. Not when we go to heaven one day. Um, you know, in that verse, 1 John 4, 17, it says this, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we. This boldness is not fear, it's not condemnation. Um, there's a, do you know, I don't even know that song, it's called Glory of Eden. Um, anyway, it's a, I won't try and sing it because I can't sing. But in that song, he talks, they talk about um, um, oh, the gasp of the angel. So God comes down, breathes his spirit into earth, creates Adam, and, and the gasp of the angels, oh, it looks just like him. Meaning, you know, we look like God. You know, this, this wonderful, and that's not just a song, obviously God's word says that all through it. So we look like him. Um, God's purpose, I think, lots of purposes, but one of them is to transform us to be, to be conformed into the image of his son. We see that in Romans 8.29. So our spirits are instantly transformed, saved, made pure in his eyes. But our life lived is a journey of transformation. So he says in Act 29 that for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he, meaning Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. And then in 2 Corinthians 3.18, you catch up with me, Tess, sorry. <laughs> um, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to the glory to glory just as by the spirit of the Lord so we've been transformed into his image so as I said you know we're we're walking really the goal is to walk as twins of Jesus to look like him in every way um, our goal is not Christianity I don't think it's not to the goal is not to read the Bible more quote it more go to church more pray more all of which I say are good. But our goal is to look like Jesus, which will mean we'll read the Bible more, pray more, go to church more properly. Um, but that's, that's the goal. So that creation no longer groans in frustration. So that where we walk, the sick will be healed, the dead will be raised, the captives will be set free. That's, that's the goal. I mean, if there are 30 of us in this room, you know, the opportunity for our lives to just even walk, you know, if... Peter's shadow could heal people, so can ours. If, you know, Paul's handkerchief would heal people, so can ours. But it's not about, 
you know, hungering after the, the supernatural miracles. They're wonderful. It's about knowing who we are in Jesus, knowing how much he loves us, and these things will happen naturally. So yeah, we were, walk, we were created to walk in the glory of God. But I guess, you know, why was I, and I think unfortunately many still, such a dull believer? Dull in terms of, I mean, look at Jesus' life, it's so colourful. Everywhere he went, you know, he did amazing stuff, you know. He rocked the boat a lot of the religious systems, but he did incredible stuff. It wasn't dull. And, you know, I look at my own life, I loved the Lord, but it was probably a bit dull. And I'm not saying this to condemn myself or anyone, because there's no condemnation. I don't have, we don't have to be condemned by this. Um, but I think that the reason is the ca- this is the case is that many of us still feel under performance pressure, still feel we have to earn the goodness of God and not just receive it under the covenant of grace that we have. So this thought of... God's grace, I think everyone would um, say, yep, God gives us grace, it's the unmerited favour, it's the empowerment, it's the fuel that turns us on and makes us live like him and helps us, etc. No one, I don't think, as Christians would dispute that. Where um, the the grace, the preaching of grace, I think, causes people to get, oh, a bit worried about it, um, it comes when we claim, which I claim, I believe, the word says it, that God relates us to us exclusively, uniquely, continually, and only through grace to those who are in Christ Jesus. Exclusively, uniquely, continually, and only through His grace. It's not about what I have to do, other than believe. Once I've believed, once I've... Like I, I was on the phone um, to a woman who I work with on Friday, talking about work, and she said, what are you doing on Saturday? And I told her I was preparing for this, and... And we talked for half an hour, and she said to me at the end, she said, um, so what do I have to do to believe? Do I have to go to church? I said, no. You just have to say, Jesus, I believe who you are. I love you. And that's it. And yeah, then you want to go to church, and you want to be surrounded. But um, so I think this, this preaching of, of grace is so necessary. It's not about the law. It's about his grace. I mean, it's interesting, though, there's only one uh, verse in the Bible that refers, that I know of, that refers to being cautious about the teaching of grace. It's in Jude, where it says, you know, that um, you you can get into sort of licentious, immoral living. But there are so many verses in the New Testament that warn us about the red flags or give us red flags about the curse of the law, about living under the law, or being yoked again, don't put these up, but being yoked again to a slavery of bondage to the law, Galatians 5. The law says, we're told, will bring curse, poverty, sickness, disease. The law stirs up sin in our life, Paul says in Romans 7. The law, it says that it won't strengthen us against sin, and the power of the sin, or the strength of sin, is the law. Um, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 56. So, you know, we can, red flags will go up in the body, in church, saying, oh, we can't preach too much grace because everyone's going to live you know, terribly and they're going to live immorally now. You've got to preach the law or tell them not to, no, not to live badly. Well, what I'd say is, well, if people suddenly hear the gospel of grace, turn around and start living immoral lives in whatever way that looks like, well, it means that they were already having that in their heart in the first place. Now it's just the lift, the, the pressure to perform and to behave a certain way is now lifted off and they're behaving the way outwardly they were feeling in their hearts always. So 
The issue, that's not the issue. The issue is that uh, where are we coming from? What are we living under? So then we say, well, what if my behavior is not really good? What if I'm good some of the time, but not all the time, and then I stumble and, you know, is he going to get angry with me then? No, he never does that. He always looks at us who live him through the, through the lenses of grace. So it's not about you know, how well we perform or how well we live every day. Now, we are going to look more and more like him. We are going to be transformed more into his image as we understand this stuff and, and let it seek into us. And so, yes, we will start to um, sin less. I think we can live a life of no sin. Paul clearly, John talks about that in 1 John. So actually, in Galatians 4, 9 to 10, I'm sorry, I'll move on. It says this, um, but now that we know him and understand how deeply we are loved by him, this is the point, how deeply we're loved by him, why would we even for, for a moment consider turning back to those weak and feeble principles of religion as though we were still taught, as though we were still subject to them? This is the passion, by the way. Why would you want to go backwards into the bondage of religion, scrupulously observing rituals like special days, celebrations of the new moon, annual festivals and sacred years, and reading my Bible every morning, and praying twice a day, and da-da-da. These weak and feeble principles, in my version, and I'm not sure what it says there. Um, yeah, weak and feeble principles there. Um, really is this thought of do good, get good. Do bad, get bad. It's a performance-based thought, you know. Observe the new rule, new moon festivals, and it'll be okay. He's saying don't return to those old ways of thinking. So and if we start to think I do need to perform better, it provides a loophole for the enemy to come in and actually sow more lies into our hearts and minds. So this, this new covenant that God's given us, you know, which is expressed you know, in, so wonderfully in 2 Corinthians 5.21, where it says we are seen as the righteousness of Christ. This new covenant, 24-7, every split second, we stand before the Father as co-equals with Jesus, even when my behavior goes up and down, even when I don't look good, don't behave well. Because it's, my righteousness is not based on my fickle behavior. It's not based on how good I am at any moment. It's based on this, that Jesus died for me. Um, and so, you know, I know I want to obey God all the time. That's my heart's desire. In Romans 1.5, Paul says, Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith. Not to the law, but to faith. To believing what God has said about us and his own nature. So his, this gospel message is not one of correct living. It's a message of correct believing. Um, which in turn begins the process to produce right behavior. So back to that iceberg, when we understand who we are, it affects everything up to ultimately the behavior. But the behavior is the, the tip on the iceberg. So our motives now are not to perform because to get him to love us. Our motives are, to before, are to, uh, because we love him. It's not out of earning, it's out of love for him. You know, and then, you know, even look at Corinthians as a church. Um, you, know, you know, we'd often say, oh, I wish we were like the early church. Well, Corinthians as a church was pretty, had some real problems. They were getting drunk at communion. 
they were, they were parading their spirituality. Um, they were divided into factions. I'm for Paul, I'm for Apollos, I'm for Kephas, Peter. Um, members of the church were sleeping with temple prostitutes. They had a man who was sleeping with his mother-in-law. You know, this was you know, clearly some not great stuff going on. But Paul, who plants this church, who didn't say, I don't know these guys, who are they, you know, see you later. He, he actually writes to them and says, you're the credentials of my apostleship. Now, I thank God for you, he says. He didn't say to them, oh, that's it, guys, you lost your salvation, done. You know, they said, no, you're making Christ one with the prostitute, if you by, by doing this. He didn't say, you know, you, know you, shall, you shall not commit adultery, you know, it's in fornication, it's against the law, stop it, guys. He actually didn't say that. Instead, he taught them the new covenant. He said, you're the righteousness of Christ up here. He said, you're in Christ. Don't you know that you're light? You have sufficiency in all things. No, you know, he, he does correct them, but he also corrects them by showing them who they are. There's a greater way of living here. Um, 1 Corinthians 1, 4 to 9. Paul says this. Remember who this church is. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he built them up by giving them their identity. You know, the law makes us extremely holy when people are watching, but, cha but grace changes the heart. Um, as I said before, you know, preaching the grace of God brings a place you know, in our church like ours, brings an opportunity for security, for safety, to share the issues that we're struggling with, whatever they are maybe not in a public forum, but one-on-one -on -one with each other. Say, you know, guys, I'm really struggling with this behavior, whatever it might be, this thought. Um, and, we, and when we pray for each other and we say, God, you're the son and daughter of God. We love you. Let's get together and let's, let's pray about this. Let's seek God for a change in this. You know, whereas the law says, would make us say, oh, I can't admit any weakness. I can't admit that I've had, you know, thoughts about that pretty woman over there or whatever. Because as soon as I do, my behavior doesn't look good and I'm judged by my behavior. So the preaching of the gospel of God's goodness and grace is actually so liberating, it brings out the mess. And then as long as we as the church treat it like Jesus did, which is, and like Paul's emulated here, through saying, guys, you got it wrong, but this is who you are. This is what you're called to. This is what you're going to be like, blameless to the end. Um, yeah, look, maybe I've gone on enough about this, but, you know, again, Paul refers to, I'll, I'll read this quickly, it's 2 Corinthians 3, 6 to 7. I'm going to read in the Passion. It says, he alone makes us adequate ministers for those who are, who are focused on an entirely new covenant. The ministry is not based on the letter of the law, but through the power of the Spirit. The letter of the law kills, but the Spirit pours out life. Even the ministry that was characterized by chiseled letters on stone tablets came with a dazzling measure of glory, though it produced death. The Israelites couldn't bear gazing on the glowing face of Moses 
because of the radiant splendor shining from his countenance, a glory destined to fade. So, now what was this letter of the law that kills? Well, his answers is here. It's the ministry that was characterized by letters chiseled on stone tablets. What were they? The Ten Commandments. So the Ten Commandments aren't there to bless us, to be a moral guideline, to make us more righteous. Actually, they're there to crush us, to condemn us, to bring us to a place that we realize we're absolutely incapable of anything other than crying out to Jesus for his righteousness, his forgiveness, his love, his making us perfect. So to preach the law ultimately is to preach this ministry of death that Paul refers to, and ultimately the glory is going to fade. It talks about Moses' glory fading. Um, Whereas the new covenant is one of ever-increasing glory. So you can say, well, we often say, oh, the church needs revival. And it does, but perhaps the need of a, sign of a, need of a revival is just perhaps a law of just how much law has been preached to the church. Because if we know who we are in Jesus, then the, this natural love of God, this natural outpouring of his spirit is natural. It's not something that we have to seek and pray and ask for. I mean, again, there's nothing wrong in seeking and praying and asking for it. But firstly, it's changed the way we think. Um, so I, th- I think when revival does come, and there are outbreaks of revival, someone's got an understanding of the goodness and the f- graciousness and the faith of God and who we are in him, and that unlocks the revival. So that verse here talks about two glories. There's a fading glory of the old covenant, and an unfading glory that comes to us who have been given the gift of righteousness. So, then I think I'll wrap up there. Yeah, I'll just finish with this. I wrote this out, so I'll just speak it out. I'll just read it out what I wrote. So, actually in Isaiah 42.8, God says this, I am the Lord... That is my name. My glory I give to no other. Old Testament, Old Covenant. In John 17.22, Jesus says this. He's praying to the Father. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. So we're in this place, each of us who know Jesus, of walking as sons sons and daughters of God, to look like him, to manifest miracles in his name to the world around us, in our families, in our own lives, in our workplaces and buses, trains, planes, doesn't matter. Um, Because the same love that flows amongst the Father and Son and Spirit now flows in us. And, And we don't have to make this happen. We don't have to, you know, again, you could, if you're hearing from this, oh, I've got to do something harder. Well, please don't hear that. All you have to hear is God has given you everything. If you want more, say, Father, I want more. I I need to understand this graciousness of your love for me. I don't yet fully understand it, but I want to understand it. That's enough. He'll give it to us. So that was it. I just hope that encourages you. Um, I'll just just end in a a prayer. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. Uh, I pray, Father, that you would just continue to change the way I think that I would think according to your word, your promises, your truth, 
And Lord, that I just ask that your Holy Spirit would touch each of our hearts and minds here today. In your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources, please head to harvesttimechurch.org.au or if you'd like to connect with us directly, you can find us at Harvest Time Church on both Instagram and Facebook.